flying high, flashing wings across the sky. Jordy racer, Jordy racer, on the road, in the street, hear the sound of pounding feet. Jordy racer, Jordy racer, don't wait, don't stop. You're heading home. Don't rest. Don't drop. You're heading home. In the air, on the ground. See them moving all around. Running hard, flying fast. See them all go rushing past. Jordy Racer, fly! And now, live from space, the 200% podcast. With Football 365, the Ian King. And Edward Carter. Open wide for some soccer! Hello pod fans, and welcome to 200% podcast number 313. 313. 313. The first reversible number. Since, yeah, since you've started <laughs> doing your... Um... Yeah, the next one will be 323. <laughs> he says, buying himself some time. As well, ever. It's alright, we all know. Always! Well, you invented this feature. Yeah, I know. I, 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 so that I could forget it every week. Ah, clever. Yeah, well, you know. I've got one here, though. All right. Yeah. Um, oh, this one's from Wales. Okay. Would you believe? It's the Carmarthenshire Derby, apparently. All right. Uh, February the 14th, Valentine's Day, 2020. Yep. okay. AFC 2... Clenethley Town 5. Oh, okay. Attendance 313. That's as much as I know. What would that be? Welsh Premier League? Oh, the JD Cymru South. Yeah. So that's probably what the third division of Welsh football is it? I'm not. Maybe Possibly. maybe maybe the second. I, it, but there I, you there you, you, know, there you the, go. Anyway. A certain amount of ignorance lurks within me about uh, our Welsh brethren's football pyramid uh, one you well you've got the the like the, the Premier League um which uh, I think that's what it's called or maybe it's the Premiership um then you've got the Cymru Alliance I think might be the second tier and then you've got something below that it's it's not massive but then well Wales isn't a massively populated country and most of its biggest teams play in England, so you know. Fair enough. If anyone ever needed a visual metaphor for what's happened to football since we last recorded a podcast, they need only have seen what happened at NEC Nijmegen's ground at the weekend, which uh, had a, a, a large portion of its stand collapse 
under the bouncing and dancing of the opposition Vitesse Arnhem supporters. Yeah, they're playing Spurs on Thursday. Vitesse. <laughs> in the same ground? No, Vitesse. Oh, no. Vitesse oh, well. Um, I don't think NEC playing for a while. I don't think anybody was seriously injured. No, I think uh, everybody was in reasonably high spirits before, during and after. Definitely not during. <laughs> what <laughs> thinking not. about. Only before. In British football, the disintegration remains metaphorical in most cases. And, of course, since we've last been with you, Mm -hmm. Newcastle United have found themselves a buyer. A sugar daddy. Yes. Daddy Shake. The return of... (laughs) The return of Daddy Shake. As, um... The owners of Manchester City are frequently referred to on social media, in re- usually in relation to Pep. The end result of this was a rather strange and heated affair where Steve Bruce, coincidentally managing in his 1,000th game, yep. was tasked with taking the exact self-same team that cannot be changed until January. Yeah. And kind of hoping, beyond hope for a miracle, try to beat the mighty Tottenham Hotspur. Well, the thing is that they really went at it for 10 minutes and they looked like a completely transformed team. And they scored in two minutes and it was a really good goal. Proper houchon! Yeah, it was a good goal. And it's like, oh, fucking God, here we go again. The only thing... The only thing that can save us here is that I'm sure they haven't got 90 minutes of this in them. But I wasn't expecting them to only have 10 minutes of it in them. Because as soon as Spurs got their foot on the ball and slowed the game out, they they completely shut Newcastle out of the game. They were so bad. And the thing is that Spurs chipped in with a comedy-owned goal at the end, gave them a head start, I don't think Steve Bruce can say that Tottenham didn't give him anything. They were two immovable objects on collision course. <laughs> two, it's either Steve Bruce's Newcastle are going to Newcastle. Yeah. Or Spurs are going to Spurs. Yeah. And in the end, Steve Bruce's Newcastle, Newcastled. Just a bit, um, yeah, just a bit more than Spurs, Spurs. And rumours now abound that Steve Bruce is on the way out. I, I think, to be honest, we all know that he is. It, it's, and it, he, he's just had his thousandth game in charge. It, just somebody put him out of his... If I was Steve Bruce, I think I would just walk out in a fit of peak just before the next game in the style of Steve Bleo Bleasdale. In big Ron manager. No, because the thing is that if he quits, then um, he doesn't get the handsome payout that he gets if he's sacked <laughs> or leaves <laughs> by mutual consent. So it's in it his will be interest. A handsome I think it's eight. Is it eight million pounds? Something like that. It's quite a lot. <sighs> it's a lot of money anyway. But he only gets that if they sack him. So he's going to hang on for dear life. There is zero incentive for him to leave <laughs> apart from his dignity. And he clearly doesn't care about that. Or, you know, <laughs> not as important as money, anyway. But that, but you know, eight million quid's worth of money. It's not a not an inconsiderable amount. Do you think that it, 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 this is going to be Steve Bruce's time if he gets this eight million or whatever it is rumored to be? Could this be his time to invest that money in some 
serious attempts at facial reconstruction. I'd say he should pour all his money into Sunderland. (laughs) (laughs) All the money he earned from Newcastle. Put it all into Sunderland. See if they can overtake them. It's been a very weird and very unpleasant uh, couple of weeks for football. Let's be let's be clear on that and let's not shy away from that subject. The irony is that I took a week off work um, <laughs> and the morning of the first day of my leave, the Newcastle story broke yep. and I couldn't do anything about it for six days. I mean, I could have done and I damn well nearly did at the weekend. I was so angry about it. I almost just dropped in something anyway because I just had to get it off my chest. But I thought, well, no, I'm just going to be saying the same as everybody else here. I want to be absolutely clear that this is not a fucking vendetta about Newcastle United. I don't give a fuck about Newcastle United. It's just another bloody football team. But um, there's a lot of blue sea between taking personal responsibility for every outrageous violation of human rights ever performed by the Saudi government and sticking a tea towel on your head and dancing around outside St. James's Park singing songs about how much money you've got. Let me make this absolutely clear. You (laughs) haven't got any money from this. Yeah? No. Unless you're directly in the pl- employ of these people, you haven't got any money out of it. This is not you. This is they. And if you think that they give a single solitary fuck about you as an individual or as a group, then head on down here to Sussex because I've got a bridge to sell you. <laughs> this is so much worse than Abramovich and it is so much worse than Abu Dhabi and none of that detracts from Abramovich's sketchy history or violations in Abu Dhabi you know it's true the Saudi Arabian fucking government is a different level they're not quite North Korea But they're close. And it is the biggest hypocrisy of Western democracy that their brutalism is tolerated. I don't know how else to put it. And it is a very strange feeling, I have to say, as somebody who writes about football, to find yourself thinking for a single second if I ever get an invitation to the Saudi embassy, I am definitely turning it down. Do you think that it's likely that you're going to get an invite to the Saudi embassy? The only reason it isn't is that I had this six days holiday. Because if I'd <laughs> gone in both both legs on them, then I'd have been fucking going into some sort of meat grinding facility by the end of next week. Oh, I mean... I- you could have gone the other way and really buttered them up. You probably could have got yourself a hundred or so camels out of it. There was plenty of that going on fucking Sky Sports yesterday afternoon. Thanks very much. Well, it's a difficult time because, of you know, you appreciate that the fans and so forth are excited that they're going to have this investment in their team and that their team might be good well, again. So 
They're just another group of football supporters. There's dozens of them. Hundreds of them. They ain't fucking special. This is the problem, you see. This is what comes when people are constantly told how special they are. They end up fucking believing it. (laughs) The issue for me is that if this is now the compromise you have to make, if this is the amount of money you need in order to be successful in British football at the top level, it's too high a price to pay, isn't it, surely? Um, Surely. For for most people. If it were my club, I, I think it would have changed... My general perception. Absolutely no question in my head that if it had been my club, and it may well be my club at a point in the well, future. Yeah. It may well have to be. If it was my club, I, I'd walk. I'd be like, okay, cheers. It was fun. But I can't do this. Now, the thing is that, you know, I'm not a season ticket holder. I'm not a habitual merch buyer. But you still have to make that emotional disconnection and i understand how difficult that is and i'm not asking anybody else to do that what i'm telling you is that that's what my personal choice would definitely be if spurs were bought by the saudi arabian government and i'm telling you here and now that there is no way that a public investment fund can be completely separate from a government The Premier League has found a way of doing it. It won't tell anybody what it is. They're bound by confidentiality. Oh, well, nice to know you're so loyal to them. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, yeah, well, you know, can't have have the secrets of this act of fucking alchemy being leaked to the public now, can we? Well, they think we're going to have some secrets. What do they think we're going to do with that information? Honestly. That's where we are. I don't even really hold the Saudi Arabians responsible for this. I don't hold the Newcastle supporters responsible for it. All I ask is that maybe they could indulge in a little critical fucking thinking about it. Because it seemed very much from here as if too many of them haven't. And here's the thing. If you have and you're a Newcastle supporter, and you're listening to this, and there's steam coming out of your ears, I'm not talking about you. There are thousands of others who don't give a fuck. And I tell you what, they sure as hell ain't my responsibility. No. So, I don't know where this ends up. What I do... European Court of Human Rights? Well, what I do know is that the Saudis have a reputation for not being very good at this sort of thing. I was reading about how Abu Dhabi is very slick. They were straight in there with the marquee signing. Um, They knew how to operate it. They got in there quickly and they transformed that club in two or three years. And basically, this is kind of common knowledge in the middle of the... Saudi Arabians won't do this. They're not slick. It's been like this. They've done this sort of thing before. It's They're not slick. They're not... You know, they've bought the club, for example, at about the worst time you could buy a football club. Almost exactly halfway between two transfer windows. They can't change shit, so far as the players are concerned, until the 1st of January, which is just over two months away. And they've got a stack of matches between them. 
They've also yeah. inherited a manager who everybody wants out, and they've kind of kept him in because there's no one that they can replace him with right now. They had their eye on Brendan Rogers. Brendan Rogers said he wasn't interested. Um, <laughs> but now, what, what are they going to do it tomorrow? Is it going to be next week? Is it going to be the week after? So everybody's in stasis and everybody's in limbo. How are the players supposed to get motivated to play? And then, after all of that, it's only the January transfer window. It's the shittest of the transfer windows. It's the transfer window <laughs> that bought Sunderland to spending three million pounds on a player that was worth one million. Yeah, it's the panic transfer window. And on top of that, everybody knows how much money Newcastle have got now. So there is going to be a Newcastle transfer premium on top of the already extant Premier League premium. So there is no way that they are not going to have to pay way too much for all of these players. <laughs> There's every possibility that this could go wrong. I'm not saying it's oh, going oh, to, yeah, because money yeah. usually wins. But I certainly wouldn't be betting against relegation from the Premier League. They are just about as bad as Norwich. Almost. I would say almost as bad as Norwich. And... Well, we all, everybody saw, there's probably quite a few people who've barely seen Newcastle this season, you know what I mean? Yeah. But a lot of people will have seen that in its full, grisly, gory detail. And that's what they're like every game. Only usually they haven't got this 10 minutes of amphetamine madness at the start. It was um, at least a window into what those players could do, if only they could... Uh... Well, uh, yeah, I up. should point out that I don't actually think they took amphetamines that wore off. Ten no, no, I mean, yeah. that should go. Like, uh, that that would that be, should that go without saying. Miraculous. But lawyers may be listening. But um, it's a disaster for the Premier League's reputation, and there's fuck all they can do about that. How are they supposed to do the next Rainbow Laces campaign? How's that supposed? Well, to... it's How... it's going to be difficult, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know. How can they possibly stand up with a straight face and say that they are in favour of the sensible running of football clubs when they've literally contorted themselves in order to bring in these people this amount of money? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's just what the Premier League need, needs. Another club with more money than sense. I'm afraid that that is the situation. I mean, you know, you can't see the Premier League ever being able to do anything again without somebody yeah. going, oh, okay, well, I can see a double standard here. You know, get some more women officiating. So, well, it's a good job that we're not living in Saudi Arabia because she wouldn't be able to drive... Yeah. To the stadium. Yeah. I mean, it's. They've made a rod for their own backs at the end of the day. They could easily have stepped in and said, and they would have had the support of most people in the media. They would have had the support of all the other clubs. They could easily yeah. have stepped in yeah. and said, look, we can't have you lot involved in our game. I'm sorry, but we can't. Yeah. But. Instead, they've gone the other way, and they'll they will reap their reward, whatever that may be. It might be good, it might be bad, but I mean the thing is that you know everything that Newcastle win now has got a dirty great asterisk against it. <laughs> you know, well, 
Yeah. Oh well, well, then well again, done, lads. You switched the you switched the um, the skill setting to amateur, and then you bought you know Ronaldo, <laughs> Messi, Haaland, and played them all up front. I don't know what it feels like to buy a trophy. You know, you'd have to ask a Man City supporter or a Chelsea supporter. I don't I don't know what it feels like to have these people come in and change everything. So it's difficult to me to say what it's going to be like. I you know, I, I dare say that there are plenty of supporters who, who who will who will say to them, Oh well yeah, you know, I'm really jealous, you know, it should have been us or whatever. I wouldn't want it. I absolutely. I imagine it, absolutely it's a bit like a giddying sugar rush. The, the the first thought that flashes through my head when a new player signs for Spurs is always the same question, and it's like, are they Spurs then? And I know what I mean by that. You know, it's very difficult for me to define it, and there are different people whose perceptions of that question would be very different to my own. But if you know that they're just coming for the money, that's literally the only reason. It's, I don't know. And, and I'm sorry for the Newcastle supporters who have actually walked away. You know, I had to do it. I had to do that. Um, I know how that feels. So I've got sympathy for those people. I understand that for many more, it will be cognitive dissonance, enormous cognitive dissonance. It's not that I don't have sympathy for it. But like I say, you know, you might not be responsible for the violations of that government. But you are responsible for your reaction to it. And yeah, I'm judging you. <laughs> you know. We're keeping it all on the down low, but we're all secretly. Uh, I'm not secretly doing. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to judge to, to judge people on their moral choices. You know, because it is yeah. a moral decision. If you decide that fuck the queers in Saudi Arabia, we're going to sign a fifty million pound striker in the summer. If that's your moral barometer, then yeah, I'm going to judge you for that. I do. I, I think the idea that there there could soon be a sort of Bernie Clifton style camel leg affair as a thing for supporters to wear though that that would be good well like there was a photograph of somebody on a train wearing one yesterday lunch oh uh, well i think it wasn't a camel i think he was he had a shake oh was it another yeah well and it was like the shake was giving him a piggyback you know it's a i thought people stopped doing that sort of thing in about 1978 it was very elaborate. you know i i, I didn't realize that that's how people still viewed people from Saudi Arabia. Don't you realise that these are ultra-conservative theocrats? You know, (laughs) they're not, they're not, they're not fun people. He went, he went all the way to the Newcastle match on the train from Northampton dressed like that. That's how excited he was. I thought it was Peterborough. Well, it's some somewhere in the. Uh... I, I had no idea that people, you know, these are ultra conservative theocrats who murder their political enemies. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. And I mean, this isn't like new information. I'm just about of the age. I was too young to watch it at the time, but I have seen it since. But I'm old enough to remember the furore about death of a princess which was a docudrama that was shown on ITV in about 1980. 
which was about the public execution of a woman for, I think it was for refusing an arranged marriage. And mm. there was such a fuss about it. The, 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 the Saudis briefly cut off diplomatic links, you know. It was a it was a big deal at the time. But I did see it when I was a bit older, you know, like sort of maybe fifteen or sixteen or something. So I see this isn't new information to me that some horrible shit goes on in that country. And you know, if you think the shit that they do to women is bad, you wait till you find out what they do to gays. It's beyond awful. Uh, and and, and yeah. I, you know, I'm, I don't make an apology for the fact that I'm not down with that. No, well, that's fair The fact fair of the matter is that there is a direct link between the people who do that and the people who are running Newcastle United. The Premier yep. League may have found a way somehow or other, they won't tell us, of establishing that they were separate legal entities and that they would have recourse if this was to be broken. But I'm sorry, but I don't believe you. Especially not, because you won't even tell us what it is. Now, in terms of teams trying to reach success in the good old-fashioned way, that brings us to our old friends, Ronchester United, who this weekend made a flying visit to Leicester. Literally, it turned out. Lost. And then, um, I mean, presumably made a flying visit back to Manchester. Although, personally, I would have made a lot of them walk. It's saying a lot when you concede four goals and your goalkeeper is your best player and it should have been considerably more than four four goals. Manchester United were anonymous for 75 minutes and shambolic for 15. They conceded two goals by basically all standing completely still on two separate occasions and just allowing Leicester to basically walk it through them. Yeah, dustbins. They were... I I mean, I I did see the whole match. You know, I'm not coming at this from a position of just having seen the match of the day highlights and Alan Shearer yakking on about it. Although I did see that because I enjoyed it so much the first time. I watched it on the highlights as well. (laughs) But they were terrible the whole game. They really, really were. Alan Shearer really nailed it with his analysis of them. And he showed up lots of good examples. And there were plenty more. And it's funny, isn't it? I mean, it is. Well, it is is funny. I mean, you've got this superannuated, as you frequently describe him, Instagram star playing up front and doing faff all. Absolutely fuck all. Did you see that? That graphic, that infographic. I did, yeah. That he is... It, it revealed Neil Mope was the uh, hardest pressing forward in the Premier League. Yes, and at the bottom... Along with Wilfred Zahar, but we all ignore that. Yeah, and at the very bottom of the list was Cronaldo. Not only yep. the least pressing player, yeah. stri- uh, striker in the Premier League, but 
half as pressing as the one above him. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't look great for him. It, it basically, I, it basically told you what we've been saying since the start of the fucking season, which is he just stands around and eventually the ball comes to him and he just kicks it in the goal. Yeah, or he doesn't. Or he doesn't. And then, then he gets the knock and just walks straight off the pitch. Which is, yeah, yeah. Apparently, again, this is... He did it the other week, and he, he did it this week as well, I think, until somebody had a word with him to suggest that possibly he should, uh, you know, go and you know, thank the United fans who had probably not even flown. They'd probably driven or got a coach or something. To go and see Manchester United play Leicester, yeah, it might be a might be a nice gesture just to go and wave at them. Yeah, but I mean, you know, For a... I'll put it this way, right? Neil Armstrong was thirty eight years old when he walked on the moon. Yep. Cristiano Ronaldo is thirty six years old. Okay, so we should send him to the moon. What a fucking child! Honestly, Jesus Christ, man, you're on half a million quid a week. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. Is it? It's. I kind of look at him sometimes, and I think I. I just don't think you're happy with your life. Well, I just don't know not. how you ever find happiness. I mean, I get that you're going to be unhappy after the way you've just played football for the last ninety minutes against Leicester City. I understand that, but he doesn't seem happy when he scores a goal. He doesn't seem. That's you know. When do you ever see a look of actual pleasure? On his face. When he's when he's no, won don't a say trophy. That. Don't. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to say something. No, yeah, no, I thought no, you were going to say something no. else for a minute. Then, when he wins a trophy, he looks fairly happy. But then again, by the time you're off the pitch, that's done with, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And they and the thing is that they've taken all this hit, tied themselves into this very big contract, two years at yep. two years at thirty million quid a year. Yeah. For what? For well, what? To for, to go to fucking Leicester. And get absolutely gubbed by a team that hasn't been playing especially well. Leicester haven't been doing that well this season. They're in eleventh place now, having won that game. Yeah. And like I say, you know, they looked really good for their first couple of games, Man United. And then they signed they, Peng now. And then they signed Penaldo, and it, and, and suddenly it's this bullshit. It, and and I, I I don't know what the plan is, and I don't think there is a plan. And well, I think that everybody's I, I, think... I think that everybody is reaching the the, the, the Occam's razor conclusion that the plan <laughs> is send them out there and one of you or two or three of you do something brilliant. That's what we yeah. pay you to do. And it's almost like, you know, he's people have people have been talking a lot about Oligana Solskjaer. And increasingly over the last couple of weeks we've been talking uh, a lot about his um, his skills as a delegator and he seems to have delegated tactics to the players yeah well I get the feeling he may have delegated the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo to somebody else yeah and when I say delegated what I mean is being completely ignorant of because <laughs> no. it seems to me like they've spent all this money on Ronaldo I, mean, I know it's a, sh- a cheap transfer fee but he's not a cheap player yeah when ultimately what they need, need, is a central midfield player. They, and they've just, they've spunked a huge amount of money on Jaden Sancho, who's now got cobwebs on him. Well, he was playing. 
Not that was you, he? Yeah, he was playing. Not the on the wrong side. Oh, uh, not that okay. you'd have noticed particularly. He was playing against Leicester. But the point still stands. Jaden Sancho is an outrageously talented player. Fantastically talented player. But he needs better than this. If he's going to become the player that he's capable of becoming. He's, yeah. he, he really needs better than this. Because this bullshit ain't going to wash for too much longer. You do have to... I mean, because we're at the bullshit junction of people talking about... And I know that this is this is something that gets right up your nose and it gets up my nose. About, you know, who's going to sign Erling Haaland. Yeah. As, as though Erling Haaland is just sitting there like a child on Christmas Eve waiting for the, a British team to come and buy him. Yeah. He might he might not want to play for a British team, folks. Imagine that. If I was but, if I was him, I'd stay in Germany. Well, I wouldn't sign for Manchester United. Yeah, no. I mean if I if Because what are they gonna do? If they they signed Erling Haaland this summer and two two weeks later they're gonna sign Messi or Pele. Yeah, then they'll say yeah, they'll sign Messi or Pele and then they'll sack Solskjaer and they'll make Michael Carrick the manager. You know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But I mean if you look at I, I was looking at um because I've been trying to go a bit deeper on this. It's all very well to knock seven bells out of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you know. That, that's not been particularly difficult to do in the press this last few weeks. No. But I've been trying to go a little bit deeper. So you start looking at the backroom staff. And Mike Phelan is the assistant manager. Yep. Mike, six months at Hull City with a 25% win rate. Well, he's been a... Uh... A member of the Man United coaching team for ages and ages. Hasn't oh he? yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was assistant manager for five years under Alex Ferguson. And you know, it was. I mean, they got to two Champions League finals. I think they won the Premier League three times, the FA Cup. Yeah. But that was Alex Ferguson. Yeah. An assistant manager, by definition, can only really be as good as the manager is. Well, yeah, I mean, um, that's obvious. And I just looked at it and thought. Mike Phelan is still the assistant manager. Michael Carrick is one of the coaches. Yeah. Uh, there's this other guy whose name I obviously completely blanked. Meaty Moments, his name is. Whatever his name is. Um, his only real coaching before going to Man United was the under-18 team at Manchester United. And prior to that, the under-18s at Spurs. Blimey. And it's like, well, you, you're looking at these people and thinking, I don't think I quite get what the policy is here. I don't. I don't understand how this collection of individuals is supposed to take a club that demands greatness. You take a club that demands greatness and do this, and, and I have no idea what they're up to whatsoever. But you know, I'm I'm here for it. And if you see oh, the yeah, games yeah. they've got coming up, ah. <laughs> well, yeah. What is it? Liverpool. Uh, uh, well, they've got Man City, Spurs. They've got all of the other five of the big six uh, between now and the end of November. So we'll really know where Manchester United are by the end of November. Mid-table. But <laughs> the thing is that they will come again. Oh, almost Of course certainly, they yeah. will. They'll get it right eventually. And they'll be as obnoxious as hell. So... Mm. I mean, the best that the rest of us can do is just, you know, just enjoy enjoy the good times. Well, enjoy the good times and also remember that whenever it is that they get it right, 
it will have been by accident. Because we've watched them now for long enough to realise that they just throw everything at the wall. See if it sticks. And then see if what sticks works. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then the procedure of just throwing everything at the wall starts again. I mean, the thing is that if it is true, and this is a, a seriously held theory, if it is true that the baseline for the Glazers... Uh, in terms of managerial performance, is qualification for the Champions League, then Manchester United could just find themselves finishing in fourth place in the Premier League on the last day of the season in perpetuity. Oh, God. That'd be fun. That'd be fun, wouldn't uh, it? Fun for for everyone. Yeah. Particularly on that, that one day that it doesn't happen and we all laugh. Yep. The thing is that that keeps Solskjaer in that job indefinitely. Before we get on to other issues, I do want to take umbrage at the flying to Leicester part of the whole affair. Because, you know, and it is it is all going to get swept under the carpet as you know, so much rubble and bants and so forth. I heard it. But it is, it is serious. It is a serious issue, which is that Manchester United may not have willingly become this social beacon. But they did willingly become a financial multinational powerhouse. And with that comes a certain amount of responsibility, whether you like it or not. And one of the responsibilities is to be a leader in social issues. And, you know, you can't ignore these just because you you want to get to Leicester a bit quicker or there's traffic. Well, I mean... I don't. I I haven't read about this. All I know is that they flew there and back. Was yeah. there no other way of doing it? Well, my question exactly. I mean, what are they? Are they too good for the train? Well, because I mean, like what, I can, what I can tell you for certain is that it will take longer to fly there than it does to drive. Because oh, well, you've still it, got yeah, to get certainly. in a fucking plane and get it to take off. Yeah. You know, point A to point B in a coach it's very different to point A to point B by plane because you've got to go to an airport first so unless there was an issue with the roads and then if there's an issue with the roads then yeah you can book a carriage on a train these days if you've got enough money well a yeah just get a carriage they can afford to get a bunch of Ubers frankly Manchester United I mean Ronaldo could pay for them on his own yeah I mean, I- and personally I think that they should have made them walk And if Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't fancy having to get out of his hyperbaric, cryogenic, O2 rape yurt to do the effort, then maybe he could be carried there, like in a sedan chair. Well, by the substitutes. Well, by the substitutes, yeah. Jaden Sancho's not busy. Get some uh, some trainees around. His harem, maybe. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Never forget the harem. Less said about that. Less said about that with her. They have to face up to these responsibilities. Because mm. they might not have sought these responsibilities, but it doesn't change the fact that the responsibility is the same either way. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what it and is. I'll tell you what it is. It's gross, is what it is. It is. It's absolutely despicable. And quest- questions should be asked yeah. in Parliament. And absolutely, frankly. utterly unnecessary. Oh, it's just... It's absolutely grotesque and it is like, you consumption. Know, they, they made this... Great big fucking fuss 
about the Premier League's first zero carbon game, the <laughs> Chelsea Spurs game a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I bet those two flights have more than cancelled that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's once again, it's part of the Premier League crowing about something and everybody else just doing whatever the hell it is that they like. Yeah. And the hypocrisy of it is just. Ugh. Yeah. And, oh, I'm, and, I'm, and, and then if you call them out on it. Oh, they get angry. It's your fault yeah. for calling it out. Not their fault for having done it in the fucking first place. Bunch of dicks. Yep. Let me get this straight. You took all the money you made franchising your name and bet it against the Harlem Globetrotters? Uh, I thought the generals were due. He's spinning the ball on his finger. Just take it. Take the ball. That game was fixed. They were using a freaking ladder, for God's sakes. Another big story this week. Gambling. Yes. An issue brought to light by Paul Merson's gambling film. Well, yeah. Yeah, I watched that. That was very depressing. It was It was rather depressing, wasn't it? I mean, obviously, the choice of host could well have put a lot of people off. But at the same time, there is nobody better placed to tell you about the evils of gambling than somebody who's in its grip. Yeah, clearly. I mean, he did, a, he did a good job of it, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's like, you know, his story, isn't it? So, it is. Um, it's a very strange one for me, as you're probably aware. Yes. For a couple of years, maybe a year, I can't remember exactly how long, in the, in the late 1990s, uh, I worked in a betting shop in a village called London Coney, which is just south of St Albans in Hertfordshire. And of course, London Coney is famous for being the home of the Arsenal training ground. And the shop that I managed had been, there were actually two in this one village. Both Labbrooks, both the same chain. And um, you'd do both of them. And one of them was always completely empty. No one ever went in there. So you'd go there and you might take... 15 or 20 bets through the till in a day. And it was yeah. a nice relaxing day. You know, you could get through some good TV. <laughs> because, you know, if there's one thing that betting shops have got a lot of, it's televisions. That's true. But it would get a bit boring, especially if you were on your own. Because in those days, quite a lot of the time, you'd be you'd just be managing a yeah. shop on your own if it wasn't very busy. Wouldn't be anybody else there. Nobody but, worried that much. Yeah. And but it, if you're in a bookmaker in London Coney, you're never really alone if there's an Arsenal team. Well, that's the thing. Nearby. The other shop was one that was frequented by Arsenal players about sort of three or four years earlier. And uh, I was told that when Arsene Wenger took over as the Arsenal manager, it just stopped. Yeah, I think that was one of his very first dictates. Yeah. Stop losing all of your fucking money. Because I think that's, I mean, that's isn't that why Merson came to be leaving in the end? Well, yeah, I mean, in the film he says that he was offered a contract by Arsenal, but Middlesbrough offered him more money. Well, he said, didn't he say that Arsenal offered him a contract on less than he was already on? Yeah, and he wanted he wanted more money. Well, yeah. Because Look, if somebody, that's more money that he could gamble. Yeah. Well, if somebody offers you less money on your next contract than the contract that you're on, then they don't think particularly highly of you. So I think, that's, yeah, that's I think it's enough. plausible to say that there may have been slightly more at play than just, that's £350,000 I could spend on gambling. But 
I dare say that factored into his thought process, yeah. Paul Merson doesn't strike me as being an Arsene Wenger player. No, no, he's not, is he? I think he is so... I mean, one the, the thing that comes through from the, the documentary, which is called Football Gambling and Me mm. by Paul Merson, and it's on the iPlayer, I believe, for the next nearly a year, Yeah, is that he is clearly still absolutely in the grasp of all of this yeah oh totally, uh, totally. it was it, actually some of the stuff with where you were watching him do some sort of experimental gambling for a psychological test was terrifying yeah yeah because you saw you just saw him lock in it's like that's that's his default state yeah it's just his, and everything yeah. else is um is nothing, and it, it, the the film I think uh, uh, poses a lot of very big questions. But I think the biggest question is: first of all, is it right that football should be allowed to basically be in hock to gambling money? Because essentially, football has been weaponized by the gambling companies to get the demographic of person that they want. Yeah. And then the second question is: are all of the laws? now completely unfit for purpose because of the advent of smartphones. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that the answer to the second question is yes. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of laws to on things like this, 2005 is actually fairly recent, you know. Other things that we're governed by go back to the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, you know, and quite a few go back further than that. Yeah. Um, but. Smartphones. Smartphones, yeah, isn't it? It is a completely different world now to what it was when I was doing it. There was no online betting in 1999. Well, I, I mean, I know. I've never, I've, I've never been a gambler. I was saying this to you the other day. I've never been a gambler, so I've never, I've never placed a bet at bookmakers particularly. I've, do, I've, I've done some greyhound racing at the tote. Where I've lost, you know, a pound a time. Yeah. But it's ne- it's ne- it's never gripped me. These gambling apps that you, you we we saw in this film are just gaudy palaces where a man can lose everything he owns if he so wishes. They've just gamified the whole thing, so it's almost got no relation to the fact that if you press this button you might not eat or be able to afford a house yeah or do anything yeah what is frightening is that they're not even the the, the gambling companies aren't even passive observers in this they are actively pursuing these people to squeeze oh, more yeah. money out of them. No, they're, they're, they're like farmers, aren't yeah. they? They're farming them. I mean, to take you back a little bit in time, in 1999, and I think we've spoken about this on this podcast before, but in in, in 1999, 2000 or so, when I was doing it, like, I started doing it in 1997, and I think I did it for three or four years. We were told that if we felt that somebody was gambling too much, in the shop, we shouldn't serve them. And that we should take them to one <laughs> side and explain that we think they're overspending. Yeah. I'll tell you how many times I did that in four years. Okay. 
None. I was expecting that answer. Because I wasn't going to take a punch in the face. For a fucking betting shop. Did we have problem gamblers? I'm almost certain that the, we had people who became problem gamblers when smartphones made it even easier. Mm. You know, I mean, there was that one guy who they were talking about, who's one of the people who committed suicide. Yeah. And his girlfriend had opened his phone, and I think she'd opened his gambling app after he died, and they gave the police gave his phone back to her, and he placed eighty three bets in one day. And <laughs> oh, no. I no. don't think it would have been possible to place no, eighty three no. bets on eighty three different things in nineteen ninety nine on a typical day, say like a Tuesday or something. You might have two or three horse racing meets, which would be something like 12, 17, 20 races maximum. And then you might have two 12 dog cards, 24 each, yeah. 24. So, you know, the problem is that it was going, that it's gone global and it's gone 24 hours. And I suspect that the betting shop people in the late 1990s, they didn't like it much. But they also knew that there was a time when the betting shop closed. And that, yeah. that meant no more betting till tomorrow morning. Unless you're going to go to a fucking casino or, and I should imagine a fair few of them did this, go to the pub and start slinging pound coin after pound coin in the fruity. Of course, yeah. yeah. But it was nowhere near the scale that it is now. Absolutely nowhere near. It's unrecognisable. And it needs to be acted upon because the fact of the matter is that the people who make football all its money are the players. And if the players have got three times the rate for gambling addiction of the rest of the population, it's difficult to avoid the conclusion that the gambling industry itself is ultimately playing a not insignificant role in keeping these people addicted through paying them or paying for them. Well, yeah. Which is fucking crazy if you think about it. Yeah. It's it's a weird sort of parasitical relationship. It's... Where they, they're not interested in, in anything except getting more of that sweet, sweet money. When you realise what, what their business model is, the fact that, for example, 60% of the profits are coming from people like us, people who are addicted or people who are at risk of becoming addicted, you realise that actually it's not in their interest to reduce addiction. All these companies say, set your, set your limit. You're compulsive, you don't set your limit if you're a compulsive gambler. Do you know what I mean? That's, that, that's just something you'd, you, 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 wouldn't, you, you wouldn't do. The demographic that's most vulnerable to getting addicted is young men. Most young men like football who want to insert gambling into that and effectively remind everyone to gamble and bet every time there's a match on. They're clever. I always feel that they got people working on the psychological mind of a gambler, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Matt has evidence of how another gambling company harvests data once users have signed up. This is something I want to show you, someone I know who was addicted to gambling and requested all of the data that a gambling company had on him so much about 93 different data points they knew the life stage he was in they knew um, how much money he owed 
They knew, obviously, they tracked the days since his last football bet. They had him as a long-term slots player and someone who plays slots for three to four days straight. So then they knew he was a gambling addict. Yeah. Which platforms he followed on social media, they'll drop cookies into your device so they'll be able to track your device, even if you just look at the website. So there's a lot, there's a lot that they know about their customers. They know, they know the ones that are addicted and the ones that aren't. They described him, uh, in terms of customer life stage, as win back. That was the code they used. So someone who had already lost a lot of money and was trying to win it back, basically. So they knew that. What they do is they market to those customers. They give them inducements that are tailored to their particular profile. So they know exactly who they are targeting. Yeah. Wow. There's a bit in this in this documentary where they do a, where they, where they've got hold of the profile. Yeah. The and the amount of information that they've collected on him, and it just turns your stomach. Yeah. It's, it turns it's... your stomach to 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 know that these people in these companies don't they don't give a fuck and worse than that they're fine-tuning everything they do to get you into that state it's it's sickening it is and and, i mean and all of these things i mean for a non-gambler it's it's always seemed fairly egregious to me sort of all 10 pound free so you know but you can't say here's ten pounds free money. Please gamble responsibly. Well, the, the you, thing you've is, already you've already made money worthless. The thing is that you see that with the non-gambler's eyes. Of yeah. Ten pound free bet. Okay, then I'll just log in. I'll have the three pound ten free ten pound bet, and then I'll log out again, and I'll never use it again. They can't. They yeah. can't make me. But that's not the gambler's mindset. No. 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 The gambler's mindset is, I'll use that £10 to make me £500, and then I will gamble. And then I'll use that £500. Yeah, it's well, and it is dormant within people, I think. It's one of what what Paul Merson believes is that it's dormant within everybody. I said to you when we were talking about this programme one day last week, I don't let myself gamble. Yeah. Because I know fully fucking well I've got that in me. I know fully well, well that I could get absolutely f- fuck up, addicted <laughs> to it. So I don't. Yeah. Well, that's very wise. That's the start of something. It's not the middle or end of anything. Those occasional Saturday accumulators, they don't want you to just do an occasional Saturday accumulator, although they do. They want you... To also have a go on the games machines while you're in the betting shop. They want you to get yeah. the app and register. They want you to log 20 quid on your account and just, you know, if you're just standing at the bus stop and you're feeling a bit bored one morning, just spend that on more slot machines or whatever. It doesn't really matter as long as you're losing. Yeah. You see, they love the sports betting because people are shit at it. That's the thing. Yeah. Horse racing yeah. has the lowest profit margin. Because there are quite a few people who actually understand quite a lot about horses and horse racing and a whole industry has built up surrounding that. Yeah. Greyhound racing is the next least profitable. But it's quite profitable because although you've got the same sort of culture surrounding the greyhounds as you've got surrounding horse racing, A, it's a lot smaller 
so there isn't a broad base of knowledge like there is with horse racing. And B, because these dogs are going at such an unbelievable speed, there is an element of chance in it. Which, of course, brings us to Premier League football, which is very similar. The one with the highest margin to the betting companies is sports betting. Because people think they understand football. They think (laughs) they know it. They genuinely believe that they can beat it. And they fucking don't. And they can't. You see this all the fucking time. You see it with people being called out in the press. Oh, fucking what's his name? Don't know what he's talking about. Oh, what you mean? What's his name? Who's been working in this game for 30 years? Who's given his entire life to it for 30 years? And you think he doesn't know what he's doing? I I remember from when we used... Because I used to do the books... For, uh, for, for, for for betting shops it's done on a daily basis on a kind of ledger and you'd see the money coming in and the money going out for it you might in the course of a day you might do I don't know five grand on horses but you pay out four thousand nine hundred or four thousand two hundred yeah. or whatever on the football you'd only take eight hundred quid but you wouldn't pay anybody out anything because everybody's better gone down <laughs> <laughs> or you might have one and it would be 30 quid or something because it was a like a 20p lucky seven or something. Yeah. Or or whatever these these bets that like sort of all permutation bets. And you'd see the choices that people are made and you know you get people who have tenor on nine draws. Do you have any idea how difficult that's more than it takes to win the pools. <laughs> <laughs> I think the pools was only eight score draws, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. eight score draws and no score draws, and they would give people to go eleven draws. <laughs> Fucking idiots! <laughs> oh, I could win seven grand off this. Yeah, there's a reason why they give you those very very long odds. <laughs> yeah, that's it's that because, should be your, your yeah, first clue. It's because that's how likely it actually is. Very important that when you see a betting price, that is what it means. I remember this guy coming into my shop, second last game of the, I want to say, 1988-89 season. And he came in and he said, I want 500 quid on Arsenal to win the league. And I said to him, are you, sh- okay. are you sure about that? And he said, yeah. And I said, what's your rationale for it? And he said, well, it was something like, Arsenal got two games left to play. Man United have only got one game left to play. But if Arsenal win their games in hand, their game in hand, then they've won the league. And I was like, okay. So the thing about that is, by betting 500 quid on Arsenal to win the league now, what you're doing is effectively putting on a double bet. You're saying they're going to win their next game and then they're going to win their last game. Or you're betting that they'll win the next game and it doesn't really matter what happens if United lose their last game. And he said, yeah, that's it, more or less. I said, look, Leeds are playing Arsenal tomorrow night at Elland Road. That's Arsenal's game in hand. And Leeds desperately need a win for a place in the Champions League. And Leeds are really good. The bet on Leeds to beat Arsenal tomorrow night as a single is even money. So you can just double up by betting on Leeds to beat Arsenal tomorrow night. 
Because trust me, Leeds really need that win. Because they're in it up to their necks financially. <laughs> yeah, well, and um, yeah, well, it was the next season they missed out, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, and he did it. He he went with what I said in the end, and of course, the following night, Arsenal uh, Leeds beat Arsenal one nil, and uh, that was one part of United's treble sewn up. And I remember, and the guy came in and said, "I can't believe you picked that out." And even money bet nailed on five hundred quid, and I was like. Yeah, the thing is that people who bet on sports don't know what they're talking about. Now, of course, the thing is that it was nowhere near a fucking even money bet. It was a shit bet. Uh, It was a shit bet because when you bet on somebody to win a football match, you're also including the draw. You've got to include the draw. It's not a 50-50 chance. It's maybe a 40-40-20 chance. Something like that. Because the draw is also a result in football if Leeds had drawn that game his bet would have gone down if Leeds had lost that game his bet would have gone down so if you just took it across the board it wasn't a straight 50-50 shot that he was getting back but then that's an example of how not only do people not understand how football works but they don't understand how gambling works either you must have been such a fun betting shop manager. I was a very fun betting shop manager. Our betting <laughs> shop used to be used as a drop-off point for the pornography of elderly men. <laughs> and, uh, like an Amazon pickup Like point. an Amazon pickup point. All the old boys would leave their porn behind the counter oh, in there. God almighty. And um, it would always be in like a brown paper bag. And I of looked course, at yeah, I looked at something, there's a couple of paperback books in one. So oh, I started right. reading one. Fanny Hill. Oh, oh God, no. I, went, sorry, I, don't know. I mean, the, the, they went places in these books. I'll say that. <laughs> they, they went places. Um, oh, no. But of course, all, all betting shops have a little PA system with a microphone. Never, ever, ever used to get switched on. But uh, in this one, this particular shop, uh, if there was a particularly interesting bit in the shop, <laughs> I'd just hit the... <laughs> volume on the speakers of the TVs and be like now listen up all of you because I've got something to read you here Jesus and then, I, and then I would read them a um, and then I would read them an excerpt from a particularly uh, arousing passage uh, not particularly arousing what was very interesting was like I say they would go a long way in these books further than you'd expect you know <laughs> coprophilia for example well, but although they would include coprophilia in this in these books, they would still be very coy about it almost. And rather than go in and uh, call it what it is, they would describe the copro as dung. That is the word that they dung. would use. <laughs> yeah. Two girls, one cup, brackets of dung. Yeah, I was tw- you know I was what twenty five, twenty six. Um, the, the, the woman I worked with at the time, I had all sorts of people that I worked with there. Uh, but one of the, one of the one of the women that I worked with, there was a BDSM model, and Fair she enough. she bought her portfolio of photos in one day, and we all wow, we all stood around, and me uh, these couple of old boys stood around this big photo album with loads of photos of her with her boobs hanging out holding a whip well i always wondered what was going on in betting shops and now and I now know. you know yeah now you I, know I, I, I should, I ought to 
Lyndon Kane gambled and it worked out. Still Kane charging forward. Still Kane. Still Kane. Car Freel. Well, it was scored by Freel, but it was made by Kane. Corrine are level again. And, and just, just off camera. There is a Glentoran player down. It's a brilliant run from Kane. It's superb from Kane. At the heart of the Glentoran defence. A great There's finish. There's finish. And straight away, McCary ran over to Bobby Burns. And he does strike Bobby Burns. I have never seen anything like that in a football game. I remember years ago, was it Lee Bowyer and Kieran Dyer clashing for, for Newcastle? But Mick McDermott's side are down to 10 men. And it's because of the actions of the goalkeeper against one of his own players. It's, it's madness from the goalkeeper. You know, yes, he maybe has a, a problem with Bobby Burns's part in the build-up of that goal, but you just can't do that. That's, that's just madness. It's crazy. I've seen it when it happened. I, I couldn't believe it. I actually couldn't believe There's it. There's been a lot of uh, negativity in this week's episode, so I thought that the last thing that we talk about should uh, uh, leave a, a fresher taste in in the mouth. Yes. And it's the the wonderful tale of Glentoran and their match this weekend with Coleraine in the Northern Irish Premier League. You can see the highlights of this currently on the BBC website. It's probably also on YouTube. What happened in a nutshell is thus the Coleraine team were losing 2-1 when the Glentoran centre-half, Bobby Burns, lost control of the ball around the halfway line. Lyndon Kane, the Coleraine defender, mazed a run through the remainder of the Glentoran team, only, in fact, to see his effort more or less stolen by his teammate, Cotter Friel, to finish and make it 2 all. At which point, the Glentoran goalkeeper... Aaron McCary stomped out of his goal up to Bobby Burns and f- and flatten him. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, I'll say that. Much. Well, the idea of a football player lamping one of his teammates on the field, you do wonder whether or not, you know, these people are, are all psychological Zen masters for managing to hold off doing it. Yeah. Like goalkeeper, goalkeeper's union, though, isn't it? He didn't do anything wrong. The bloke, the bloke, almost certainly deserved it. Well, he did lose the ball, but but the other thing is, I saw some people, uh, when, you know, when it was tweeted and we were able to watch it again, and I do advise watching it again. It's a brilliant run from Kane. It's superb from Kane at the heart of the Glentoran defence. A great There's finish. There's finish, and straight away McCary ran over to Bobby Burns and he does strike Bobby Burns I have never seen anything like that in a football game and again and straight away McCary ran over to Bobby Burns and he does strike Bobby Burns I have never there were a lot of replies people saying well you know what's the, the deeper meaning of this we should dig deeper in this what's the, the interpersonal status like and it, it made me sad 
you know, because why can't we just enjoy this one perfect cartoonish moment for what for what it was? I have to say, I'm a little bit disappointed with the camera angle as well. The, yeah. This was a televised match and that was the best angle they had. I know, that was really, really disappointing. Yeah, Did, that's gonna be that's gonna be going on a Christmas tape somewhere. BBC, BBC Northern Ireland. Oh, what they they're gonna, they're keeping the the really good view. They'll keep the good. They'll keep the good angles oh. for themselves. Yeah. Because I mean, it looked to me like he properly walloped him. Looked um, like it, yeah. Because he the the, the fella uh, Bobby Burns went down, <laughs> went down. He went down like a sack of spuds, didn't he? I, and, I, and I tell you what, as he walked off the pitch, fair fucks to the goalkeeper because the look on his face was completely. And I'd do it again. Yeah, that is true. There was no, and, and I'm sure he would do it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely no regrets whatsoever. It fair was a, a moment of wonderful cartoonish madness. And yeah, but you need that from a goalkeeper. Well, you do, and you do need you need it from football and. The amusing thing is that obviously all of the journalists and uh, commentators and everything have to come out and say how awful and shameful it is. Oh my God, yeah. But I just want to go on the record of saying that I love it. No, smelling salts under the nostrils. Handkerchief applied to the forehead. Little little fans of flutter, perhaps. (laughs) You know, fuck's sake. No, it's brilliant. Love it. More of it. Grease them up next time. Well, yeah, that just absolutely go for it. I mean, you're going yeah. to get sent off anyway, so you might as well make a real feature of it. Yeah, you know, it's not like UFC isn't a thing. Like, if two greased-up naked men can just go into a ring and just beat the crap out of each other, I don't see why it's asking too much for footballers to do a bit more of that to each other as well. I think, in essence, what what my view on that is, it was it was a wonderful thing. It was very funny. I don't need anything more. I certainly don't want to know any of the details of how, you know how they're doing patching it up or what it was that sparked it in the first place, unless it's really funny. Yeah. But beyond that, I, d- I don't see how there's anything you're going to be able to add that's going to make this better than it already was. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, this is what a cartoon football match would be like. And, you know, what's better than that? Yeah. That's the so trouble. There, you, there you go. Question answered. <laughs> question asked and answered. Actually, we did get a listener question this week where we were running a bit over time. And it is a subject that uh, you have some very strong opinions on. So I think we might leave that for next week and give it some yeah. All right. uh, more okay. serious discussion. Okay. Fair enough. All of this, all of this leaves me with only one order of business left. Yep. Uh, Jamie Vardy scored another goal. Jamie Vardy has a pet chicken. It's completed PGA Tour Golf 2K21 on the hardest setting. There you go. Just in case you're wondering what Jamie Vardy's pet chicken gets up to. Now I know, apparently. Yeah. Right there, you go. There's you. Any other business? That's it. We're done. Honestly, fucking football. I know. It's been a real grind these last couple of weeks. First thing I first thing that happened this morning. About quarter past seven. I, I rolled over to look at my phone to see what the time was. And there was a notification. And I opened it up and it was Twitter. And there was some prick in my replies just going, well, they weren't even conclusions. 
you 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 saw fit to say that, did you? You you stopped by the sixteen conclusions column for the conclusioniness of them. Yeah, they have to be conclusive, every single one. I think it's a different word. Yeah, if each one doesn't reach a definitive valedictory yeah. finale. <laughs> Honestly. A flourish. A, a flourish yeah. of completion. So there you go. We'll be back again same time next week. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. I will love it if we beat them. Love it.